Welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast that dissects Who Framed Roger Rabbit one minute at a time, with special guest, Niall McGowan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Minute 31. As always, I am Chris Blair, and back again, we have got the co-hostess with the co-mostest. Of course, I'm talking about Annie McMullen. Hello. And joining us this week from the Bat Minute, we have got Niall McGowan. Hey, hey, thanks, uh, thanks for having me, everybody. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. I, you know, question we're asking all the guests is, what is your relationship with this movie? Oh, this is one of those movies to me, because this is what came out, what, 88? Uh, mm-hmm. I was born in 87. So this is just like, oh, this movie has always existed to me. I was like, it's every, when I was growing up, you know, throughout the 90s, it was pretty much every major holiday when, you know, the, the TV schedules would be filled up with like things for families to watch. Always Roger Rabbit would be on constantly, like constantly BBC One at some point in the afternoon that's sticking on. And I think occasionally they still do when they're just like, all right, The Great Escape, Roger Rabbit, The Karate Kid. These are the things you can't get rid of during the, the holiday televisual uh, scheduling and stuff right classic holiday movies yeah yeah and uh yeah i I absolutely i loved it then because it was like oh crazy cartoony stuff because i was into like animaniacs and all that kind of stuff back then and you know the the classic bugs bunny daffy duck daffy was always my favorite to be fair i don't know why i led with bugs i feel like i betrayed daffy now to be putting bugs out front in the donald daffy fight you are 100 percent team daffy Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Daffy's always my favorite because I feel like he's I enjoy him because he's such he's kind of an asshole, basically, is his mm. whole deal. And yeah. also, he's the most relatable of all because he's so he's got such a fragile ego and he's always striving for more. And <laughs> it's just like, it, oh, the world always dumps on him. Yeah, he has really strong, like chaos energy. Just it's just chaos around him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> So that was always my thing. Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Bugs is fine and all, but like, it was always I, Daffy was always where my heart lay. So, um, and then yeah, as, as you know, the years progress. Like, I went through in my teenage years a big. I went through a big James Elroy phase where I was reading all his books and stuff, all the the L.A. Confidentials and the Black Dahlias and all that kind of stuff. And so there, you know, you adapt that. Like, oh, this movie stays up with you because it's it is a a giant noir mystery in and of itself uh, and then you say yeah you, know, you, get, you get older you get into things like chinatown and you're just like oh yeah roger rabbit is essentially like a remake of chinatown in a lot of weird ways so um it's it's just it has that uh, great appeal where it gets all age groups and it stays with it could hook you when you're a kid and then years later you can still watch it and be like oh, i appreciate things even more now, except some of the things that just don't age well, which I know you guys will have talked about with like some things with baby Herman are just like, what is this character? Like, oh, it's yeah. so weird. <laughs> like it's so, this whole thing, like the, I've got the lust of a 50 year old, but the dinky of a three year old, you're like, what? Oh, the, don't, who wrote that? Why would you put that down on paper? You know, yeah. creep, creeps are timeless and it's important that we, you know, get kids used to them at an early age because mm. they're just, you know, You're very everywhere. even in so. film noir is a thing that is synonymous with having creeps. <laughs> <in it as laughs> yeah. yeah. The twist is it's a baby in this one. 
Mm. <laughs> one of them is a baby. <laughs> one of them, yeah. yes, yeah. Clarify, <laughs> one of the creeps is a baby. Minute 31 begins with the police continuing to laugh at Eddie, and it ends with a very scary figure looking down on Eddie. Mm. Mm. First of all, these police are just the worst. They're, <laughs> they're terrible. That joke about him changing his names to Jack Daniels wasn't that good. It does not require this much laughing. <laughs> Well, you need some levity to, you know, in this scenario with a, a dead body in the corner, like lighten the mood a little bit. So everyone's just so happy that anything vaguely funny is happening. It's like, oh, no, no, it's just let's grab onto it like a lifeline. I got really hung up on um, this might be too obscure reference for uh, the listeners, but um, the opening seconds, the close up of one of the, that, that cop with the mustache, he looks so much like Jim O'Kane. The guy who hosts the Rocketeer minutes and stuff that I had to even go to the movies by minutes like um, page and be like, I'm doing research in Robert Roger Rabbit minutes and look, Jim's o- Jim O'Kane's in it over here. So, but a bit of a screenshot of him. It's uh, if you if you know if you've seen that man, it is just like holy crap, it is him. It's exactly what he looks like. So, oh yeah, I'm looking at pictures of him right now, and yeah, it's it's a total dead ringer. And Jim's the type of guy too, where I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, "No, that is me." <laughs> the guy was, yeah, I had a brief, a brief uh, history as an extra in random Hollywood. Eddie asks what's going on, and apparently it's the white paint from Roger's gloves that's on the road. It's yellow. This, it's yellow. It's yellow. Because Roger has yellow gloves, which is just so incongruous with every other cartoon character ever existing mm. who wears gloves. Well, that, that, that's what got me really curious. Now looking at it in this, you know, this level of forensic detail. Because you get a hint at the end, not to jump way to, you know, what you guys were talking about friggin' months Boy, from now. Yes. But, like, yeah. it, it, it indicates that whatever Judge Doom looks like underneath the disguise, he is yellow. Mm. Because I think when he, when he melts, there's a kind of yellow, it seems to be yellow coming out of him around in that big puddle of dip. And then oh. the fact that he left yellow paint and it seems like whoever owns that, whoever that paint is linked to, that's the murderer. Interesting. You know, so it's, it would seem that, yeah, he did this without, outside of his doom getup. And it's, it would seem that he, he must be yellow because then it would match Roger's gloves. I mean, I think the other theory is just that someone painted the rope to frame Roger because it is weird. Like we don't, do we see any other, we don't really see any other instances of Toon's paint rubbing off on stuff. I can't think of any other instance when, when Jessica slaps Eddie, I don't think it's on his face. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, right? Like it's, it's a very obvious, like, I mean, I don't know what else they would have just like shoved a carrot in there or something like what's more obvious that it's like Roger because the yellow gloves are pretty unique to him. Um, mm. I don't know. It seems like it seems like the like laziest frame clue you could leave. Yeah, yeah. We have to be like I don't know a, a button from his red dungarees or something like that. <laughs> no, I do always- like. I think we need to explore more that Doom is is secretly yellow. We need to watch out for other hints. I also want to mention too um, the guy the guy taking the paint off. Uh, I'm assuming he's forensic one on the IMDb. 
I only bring him up because uh, apparently that actor's name, he does look like looking at the pictures, but that's the guy, that is the guy. But uh, he's a uh, Joel Katara. Uh, and uh, he actually features in 1989's Batman that we covered way, way. Oh, wow. On our show. He's Crime Lord 2. So he got to the top <laughs> of the forensics team, bumped down <laughs> the Crime Lord 2. Meant to not have a name. Yeah, yeah. But he's a. It's also weirdly coincidental, too, because he has um, the scene the Crime Lord 2 features in is the big mobster meeting where the Joker comes in with the flesh makeup, kind of like Judge Doom in a weird way, disguising himself like a normal human being, even though he's not a normal human being at all. Uh, and, uh, of course, in that scene, the Joker ends up like electrocuting a guy to death with a hand buzzer. And what do you know? There's a hand buzzer in this minute. So Maybe, his, maybe him botching this case so badly led to his downfall. He had to pursue a life of crime. I mean, it depends. If you guys have the number two crime war in Gotham, you're doing pretty well. He was, he's so. better at that. Yeah. 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 Eddie sells this slap from Jessica really well. I have to say, oh, too, well. like, there's a little bit of a pause. And he oh, does me. a facial expression where he's kind of taking Jessica in. And I know, like, you know, Ed, Eddie's like, it's only kind of a recent development that he's become like a bigot towards tunes. Mm-hmm. He has a kind of moment where you think that. You're almost like, does he think that he's got like a chance with Jessica or something? Like he has a kind of moment of like, well, hello. Like it looks as if he's about to start coming on to her or something. Yeah, he does. He seems like like, okay, this is a thing. I mean, he was very captivated by her when she was singing in that club. He was stunned for like a solid couple minutes there. Yeah, yeah. I think if he's not if he doesn't think that he has a chance with her, because you know, the circumstances too is like it, it, entirely the wrong time to try to do, you know, her, her husband's just been accused of killing a guy who's literally lying out of, you know, in the corner over there. Maybe don't try to come on to her right now. I imagine though he at least has a line to be like, just some kind of sleazebag thing to say. It's probably for the best though. She's, she probably knows it's coming too. She's like, I don't, even want, I don't want the audience to even hear what you have to say. <laughs> Eddie does, a, he does like a checkout look down to her chest at, uh, one moment right before he slaps right before she slaps him you know i mean she it to eddie's in eddie's defense uh she doesn't come out like guns a blaze and she's like mr valiant like that's all she says and so he just looks and kind of turns around and is like hey jessica smirks and then she gets mad um and also watching her get angry you know she barely she only has a nose in profile she does not have one when you're staring straight at her face her eyebrows are already in um, an aggressive arch uh, and she has no like wrinkles or any other shading anywhere on her face. So uh, I think if you look at it, if you watch it silently, you you cannot get any kind of an emotion from Jessica. Mm. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't have facial expressions the same way uh, yeah. most other tunes and or humans do. I think actually I just noticed though from that shot of her as he's looking at her, it's the must be actually probably had it loads in the movie. I've just never noticed, but he actually gets seeing her other eye. Yeah. Oh. The the eye that's usually got the hair drooped over it seems to be exposed there, and then as soon as it cuts to the other shot, the hair moves over. (laughs) Like it's one of those things like you can never fully see it, but I guess maybe. Maybe that's why he's so like, whoa, because it's like the only time he's ever going to get seeing Jessica Rabbit's full face. 
maybe her angriest moment that we see her too is the is the moment that her hair moves over so seems to be part of her emotion there so they walk by carrying marvin acme's body but uh, it seems to be quite clean no blood splatter anywhere nothing even soaking through the sheets on top it's just like no it, it hit him it was just like a <laughs> it feels like it was just a blow to the head and yeah that was it you know, very, those... very clean death for <laughs> for having a safe dropped on his head from a from a tall distance, a gigantic safe. Yeah, you think it would be a kind of thing like the, the damage would be so that everybody in there would be a bit like, oh, geez, you know, people would be properly horrified at what they're seeing. But when you look at the them carrying him out on the stretcher with the um, the sheets over him, it, it this the the shape of him it doesn't look like he has a full head. Like it doesn't look big enough to be a whole head. Like maybe it's just a neck stump or something, Ooh. but um, you know, it's not perfect. It doesn't look like his head's completely gone, but it definitely doesn't look like it's enough to be a whole head. Um, old half head acne. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will also just note that he is still wearing that hideous suit. Like does anyone have more than one outfit? in this movie <laughs> that suit is disgusting and he's that's still just the, the influence of tunes in the world yeah where people after a while people are like well they don't have to change clothes and why should i have to change clothes like i hate having to choose a new outfit at the end of the goddamn thing <laughs> well how much I, after this uh, how much after his his venture with jessica did this whole thing happen because presumably they brought eddie into maroon's office right away they showed him the pictures and then Roger went over to the factory and killed him. So Acme might have been getting over to his factory straight from Jessica when this happened. I know because Acme he has a bit of money about him. Like you could afford. Like we know Eddie Valiant doesn't change clothes because he's mm-hmm. like a lowly, sort of schlubby kind of character. But then yeah, sure you assume someone like Marvin Acme would have a bit of. He would have a wardrobe and stuff as well. But Marvin Acme is he's Toontown's Jeff Bezos. He he has a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Makes bad choices with it, but he has a lot. Yeah. That's I mean that's a it's a it's a brave look to stick with. Like, you know, if you're gonna be like this is the look. <laughs> it's like every day is gonna be this this jacket. It's like, yeah. all right, man, you are you are dedicating yourself to something quite dubious here. <laughs> well, he is into tunes, and I think this is a choice based around that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but um, I'm also just enjoying too that like there's so much, you know, Chekhov's gun stuff going on mm. in this scenario here. Like again, the rope with the paint is going to be mentioned later on, and then like as they go clattering into the the case with all the shoes. You just see the big glue tub in the background. You're just like, oh, yeah. like they'll play any part later in the film at all. <laughs> yeah. They're so good at getting this information in, too, without you realizing that this is going to be important for the plot. It's just going to be like, okay, here it is. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, all right, everyone pay, pay attention <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. back to the, I mean, I think we kind of skipped over that part, but back to the uh, the cops being just generally terrible and incompetent. I mean, I think knocking over, walking straight into this crate of shoes with while you're have a dead body on a gurney is uh, is 
the level of professionalism we expect from this crew. <laughs> you know? That that box that they knock over and all the shoes that come out, who is this for? Like, it's not for cartoon characters, right? Because there's no characters in the movie, no cartoon character I've ever seen who has shoes that are alive. It seems to be specifically labeled squeaking shoes as well. Like, mm. and they... And they're sentient beings kind of crammed in here. I don't know, you know, they do have the you know, Acme label on them. So maybe it's part of a joke thing that he's selling. Like, oh, they're squeaky shoes. You give them to people for, for a gag, you know? But then at the same time, like, well, they're living shoes. So, <laughs> so that's is cruel. Maybe it's like having a shoe that's also a pet. Well, yeah, you do get the vibe. You know, particularly the, the, the last minute of the, of the week. It's like, yeah, there's very much a like a small dog vibe to these things. But it is, it's such a weird, not only because like it's, you know, who are they for, why were they made? But also too, like one of the, you know, the rights of tunes seem to be all over the place. Cause they're, they're probably just crammed into a crate and then they could have been left there for years. Yeah, we, it's something we're pretty concerned with, right? Like, one, there's a clear hierarchy, like, tunes are definitely second class citizens in general, but then there's also some kind of, uh, you know, societal hierarchy between the tunes themselves. And, you know, kind of circling back to the, like, how are tunes made? Maybe, maybe you turn into a tune at some point. Maybe, maybe there's like a reincarnation sort of a situation. And, like, karmically, depending on who you were previously, you either get to come back as like a horny baby or just a shoe, <laughs> you know? Uh, maybe that's how it works. I mean, Horny Baby's life sounds way better than the uh, shoe. Like right? he's he's living it up. He has a personal assistant. Uh, he his biggest problem is that someone knocks over his stogie versus the shoe that's got to live in a crate and yeah. uh, with a lot of other shoes. Yeah, with a lot of other shoes. Yeah, I wonder too, because the tunes like yeah, literally nothing kills them except the dip. But guess Baby Herman can smoke just without a care in the world. Cause like, he ain't gonna get sick out of that. Like that's, you know, he can, he can literally smoke stogies and a chain every day his entire life. And it's like, well, yeah, the, you know, tunes, they don't get colds. They don't get, I'm assuming they don't get sick at all. When Roger drinks, he has a violent, violent reaction. To it, so. so there is a cost. And I mean, baby Herman's voice is clearly a smoker's voice too. So who knows what he sounded like before. <laughs> And maybe it's just mandatory. Like maybe he, he can't help it. It just, you know, like it's, he can't even put it, he can't, he needs it, right? Cause it's drawn with him. Mm -hmm. I do like the idea now though, if he, if he came back as a shoe, the shoe would have a, a gruff baby Herman squeaking. <laughs> so it gets that shoe as a gift. Why does this shoe sound like this? It's terrible. <laughs> But then it's like, because the shoes come in pairs. So would he be split across two shoes? Or is it like, no, you just get paired with some other spirit. Oh, that's an interesting a, question. You know, as a pair of shoes. That's like part of the punishment shoes. is that you get paired with the person you hate the most. Ah, <laughs> it's like a good. no exit situation. Being a pair of shoes is the punishment that you get for, um, you know, having like a, a really terrible feud with someone through your whole life. Yeah. And then there's something like there's like a, a pair of boots here like they're proper like jack boots 
who yeah. proceed to start marching is like I even want to know who they were <laughs> well and you're like I recognize that march and yeah. it's problematic mm. so yeah. why would you put those boots in with the little cute little cute clown shoes come on man you gotta at least yeah. separate these things out yeah those boots are like I'm gonna storm the capital yeah <laughs> and they're squeaking boots too right they've come out of the squeaking boot I mean, the squeaking shoe collection. Like, why does someone want those boots to squeak? Like, that could be like, a, a thing to use as a prop in the cartoon movie. Like, oh, it wouldn't be funny if you had a, like a, a marching Nazi, but it, his shoes were, his boots were squeaking. Like, I can see, you know, Marvin Acme, they're not all winners. <laughs> like, yeah. it could be that this was just like, that's why they're in a crate. This is like, I put a lot of money into the, the squeaking jackets. <laughs> And yeah. it just did not work out. Okay. There, there's no way that Marvin Acme hasn't done a lot of things that the company needs to apologize for. Yes. He yeah, he just true. has that. Yeah. Persona. A <laughs> lot of lot of Marvin Acme uh, productions and and gifts that are not going to fly well today. The the hand buzzer drops out of Acme's hand and just falls on the floor. Nobody but Eddie notices this. I don't know how everybody else misses this, but Eddie's clearly the best detective in this, this room. Yeah, yeah. Eddie's the only one who doesn't like, so the shoes fall out and they escape and they're running everywhere because they're shoes. Uh, and everyone's scrambling and freaking out and Eddie just stands there watching. Mm. Um, it could, it could I, be that's why he spots it. He, he has doesn't have the obligation to help. Right, but but he also just he just doesn't go. He doesn't let it like freak him out that these shoes are running around everywhere. And I I wonder if that's because we do get hints like previously that Eddie Eddie did spend kind of a lot of time with tunes. So even though he hates them, because uh, he you know blames him for his brother's death, he he's very familiar with them. He was mm. a tune detective. Yeah. yeah. So maybe he's just like, yeah, they're just shoes, dude. Calm yeah. down. They're just shoes. They'll like walk around for a bit. They'll get bored. We'll be fine. They'll get tired. He's <laughs> like, oh, I bought my brother uh, a pair of squeaking jack boots for Christmas one year. And oh, I'll tell you, <laughs> didn't go well. That didn't go down well in the end. The Valiant Hustle. And Doom. I felt this should be a hint that we're dealing with a cartoon character. Doom's cane um, goes to shock Eddie. Like he can't. He can't stop Eddie without it being the funniest way to stop Eddie, shocking him with the hand buzzer that he's picking yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the, it's the one slip you'll get out of Doom, like yeah. in the first 40 minutes of him being on screen. It was like, all right, okay, I'll get that out of the system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The rest of it's going to be like granite face of this. Wait, technically, do we, do we see Doom or do we just see his cane in the. We, we one, is it cut off right before we see him? I'm trying to look. Watch we we just tilt like a, up and see his face. Yeah, okay. although we can save it for next minute because then that is that's the that's the doom minute. You know, doom yeah, comes yeah. Doom time, so. yeah. We've got a lot to say about doom and uh, whoever it is that plays him in the next minute. Uh, <laughs> yeah, before actor, I'm not really familiar with. I've never seen this guy like before. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he's got something though. <laughs> I guess this Judge Doom character is gonna be big. It's it is a terrifying introduction to him. It's a really good one. Just that very slow tilt up. We see the scary cane. We see the black outfit, and then we see this just 
lifeless face staring back down at Eddie. I, was, I wonder, though, if it's a thing in the 80s. Because he looks so much like Tote from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm, yeah. You see the look, the glasses, the big hat, the kind of black cape thing. I was wondering, like, I tried looking into it, and they said, like, he, he might have been inspired in real life by, coincidentally enough, by like a known notorious Nazi judge called like Roland Fleischer, I think his name was. But I looked him up, he didn't look anything like that. Like he was, he was bald. That was about the, the extent of it. And I was really wondering if, if both Coates and Judge Doom's design is specifically referencing like a famous character that might have been big when like the directors were young, you know, young people like way back in like the 40s or 50s or something. Yeah, well, I mean, I could definitely see that, especially since this is really a Steven Spielberg joint when it comes down to it, that like <laughs> this is him just putting that in. Because really, this wasn't that much longer after Raiders. Oh, yeah, so Raiders is like 81 or 82. This is 88. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, a, a fully functional apart. adult now. I am aware of how quickly that time passes. <laughs> like that right. is a blink of an eye. <laughs> so yeah, I've been like, oh, yeah, the movie I made last year, Raiders of the Lost Ark, seven years ago. <laughs> oh right, oh yeah, oh I guess it was a while back. Yeah, it's it's basically the same time period. Like when you're a kid, those are like completely different eras, completely different people who lived in those eras. But now it's like, oh yeah, same time period. He is. He's dressed so. He's dressed in in victorian era stuff he looks i mean listen, he looks like he's in sherlock holmes um not not 1940s um you know he looks he looks exactly like he could be walking around wearing a plague mask and it would fit right in with this outfit um so there's something weirdly like incongruent with the way that he everyone else is dressed pretty true to period um, other than some of the tunes like Betty Boop, who we know, you know, are from a yeah. different time. Um, you could have a kind he's, of um, like a Doctor Who thing going on. He's like where, full Sherlock. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, some of the ideas in Doctor Who is like, well, it's a character that travels through time, but it doesn't really dress modern. <laughs> like, always has a kind of like, this is what people look like, right? It could be that, like, this tune <laughs> is so old. It's just like, yeah, I don't really know how people people dress like this still but then it's like that's like a hundred years ago man <laughs> like no no it's fine i thought like the same time then it's like well when did tunes come into existence like 20 years like just drawings in general and then that's a whole other <laughs> can of worms open well first two first cartoon is credited to be in 1908 so uh you know maybe a little bit little bit shy of 40 years but I mean, yeah. tunes, tunes then are very different than the tunes that were created later. So, yeah, I mean, that must have been a knows? freaky day. This is the first tune invented. Like, what the hell? What is walking down the street right now? Yeah, knowing the way the society works, <laughs> even 30 years later, I think people would still be properly massively reeling from the existence of tunes. Yeah, it just shakes the world up. Like, I, I mean, maybe maybe in this world too, other things gain sentience that don't have sentience in this life. Who knows? Uh, but it still it still had to be shocking. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, but whatever whatever 
Doom, whatever aesthetic that Doom is going for, I think it's safe to say he is the market for those squeaky Nazi boots. <laughs> He's yes. really hoping, like, I was hoping I was going to be able to steal a pair on my way out, but uh, put them back in the crate. <laughs> One quick thing is that I have educated myself and apparently these capes made a resurgence in the 1940s so uh, maybe it's just like those people who want to dress in period outfits and doom's just um a weird dude which we already know i mean you can't keep a good cape down right (laughs) i'm surprised they haven't been back since you know what are you guys doing yeah sass it up a little bit get a cape (laughs) the because again, though, he looks so much like Tote from Invaders of the Lost Ark is set around the same time. So I guess maybe it was like, if you went, if you were to go back in time, it's like, oh, everybody was wearing this. Everyone loved the big black wide brim hat and the glasses, the, the, the capes and stuff. So. Yeah, it was the trend. Yeah, it's only Spielberg and Zemeckis were like, no one remembers that people did this, but they did. Okay, we're putting it in the movie. <laughs> Annie, who is your MVP for this minute? My MVP is... Um... Marvin Acme's lifeless arm uh, dropping the uh, hand buzzer because, you know, it's a very sort of Rube Goldberg-esque scene where a lot of stuff needs to happen for us to get that dramatic pan up to doom. Uh, And the part of it that, you know, is probably the hardest to control in that that series is is Marvin Acme's lifeless arm. So uh, that's gonna be my MVP for the minute. That is it for today. We are a Dueling Genre podcast. You can check out other podcasts by going to duelinggenre.com and click on the link to support. Thank you so much for being here too, Niall. Uh, where can we find you at? Oh, uh, yeah, if people want to hear any more from me, uh, I'm one of the hosts of That Minute. Uh, at this point, we'll have four movies done. We'll have completed that 90s set. Uh, if people are interested in that, you'll find us uh, at All Good Podcatchers uh, on your Apple Podcast. And uh, yeah, just on Twitter and on Facebook at the Bat Minute Listeners Cave. Super exciting. We will be back on Wednesday for Minute 32 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit.